Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And joining us now is an author and a historian, a new book out called Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, Dr. Brandy Scalace. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I saw the article in Wired the other day, and I think there's been a couple other write-ups on it since then. And the whole idea of head transplants got a lot of people curious a few years ago, because I think there was an Italian neuroscientist that was going to try to attempt this. But the idea of it, the science behind it, goes all the way back to the Cold War. And that's kind of what you look at in your book. Exactly. It's, it's a long period of time to look at, which really covers all of transplant science during a really tumultuous time in our history for civil rights, the Cold War, a lot of things happening. Mm -hmm. Cold War, we don't normally think of being, you know, a lot of our technological advances coming from that, but there have been a lot of things that came from the Cold War. And you follow one person in this book, someone that uh, really had this vision, and his name was Robert White, a staunch defender of ethics, in a lot of ways, a pioneer for more than just head transplants, but also kind of looked at as Dr. Frankenstein in a way. Absolutely. He, in many, I, th I think of him as someone who has kind of two different sides to his personality. And to me, that's partly what made him so fascinating because I think, don't we all have different person, you know, different aspects of our personality and we're not just all going to fit in a single box. His two personalities were were somewhat very well they were very distinct weren't they yeah <laughs> mr humble is a, a nickname he gave himself somewhat <laughs> tongue-in-cheek i think um and dr butcher is what he was called by animal rights activists who felt that he had really taken things too far with his monkey uh experiments in the head transplants which you know, some of his own colleagues probably felt that way, too. So when you were first introduced to the work of Robert White, was, did it creep you out to think, hey, there was someone out there that was experimenting on monkeys for head transplants? You know, I spent a lot of time working in a medical history museum, so I'm really difficult to creep out. <laughs> uh, but I had no idea that someone had performed and succeeded at performing a head transplant this is and and for your listeners that literally taking a head off of monkey a and putting that on the body of monkey b and and then it living mm -hmm. not for very long live for about i think the longest was nine days but that's just uh mind-blowing it seems very 
science fiction. It seems X-Files. It doesn't sound like something that is hardcore, actual funded right. science. And yet it was. And this goes back to, what, the 1950s? Is that right? The transplant, I, I'd say the uh, the origination of the idea for White goes back that far. He had been working, um, he was a, a student mm-hmm. originally, medical student at the Peter Bent Brigham Hospital, which is where, that's in Boston, where Joseph Murray performed the first successful kidney transplant on twins because they hadn't developed immunosuppressant drugs yet. Mm-hmm. So that means, you know, normally if you put an organ in somebody and it's not their organ, the body rejects it. But th- these were identical twins. It was very successful. And White, who was a student at the time, of course, had lots of excitement around that. And he thought to himself, well, that means you could do other organs. Mm-hmm. And then he thought, well, what if you did a whole bunch of organs at one time, mm-hmm. essentially just transplant the entire body wholesale over to where someone else's head is at or brain is at um, to, to preserve a life you know, in a body that was failing. And we know this happens a lot, right? Someone's perfectly in possession of all of their faculties, and yet they have cancer or some kind of wasting disease. And that's kind of where he got the idea. And that was happening in the 50s. So that early sort of origination moment happens back then. The interesting part about this is that he's a devout Catholic, and he wants to do this in a way that is ethical. So he looks towards the uh, Pope to to try to make sure he's not doing something that's unethical. And it's kind of one of those deals where when he's asked about it, and I read this in your book, uh, Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, where when he's asked about it, his answer is kind of like, well, they didn't say it wasn't ethical, (laughs) which is kind of the way around it. So it wasn't really an endorsement per se. So how important was that for him that he was doing this in a way that was ethical? So I I think one of the more important things about Dr. White, and and this to me is ground zero for his personality, is that for him, the brain is you. And the brain is the soul. It's the animating principle. It's what makes you unique. And in in some ways, he was a bit of a, um, I'd almost say a Cartesian dualist, right? He's Hmm. somebody who thought you're mainly in your brain and maybe discounted the body a little bit more than I think is probably fair. But to him, that meant saving the life of the brain was the most important thing he could do. Hmm. And he often felt that that was his sort of God-given mission. So there's ways, I think, that his mission to save the life of brains um, supersedes some of his other, you know, decisions. Not not decisions, but if, if this is right and good and God's will, then everything else kind of should fall in line under that. So it certainly colored the way he looked at and approached some of the things he was doing. Um, what he what he did take to the Pope, and I know this is peculiar, it certainly was for me, I kept hearing rumors about Dr. White's life and then discovering that the truth was stranger. So someone had said, oh, he met the Pope, and then it turns out he was friends with two Popes. So oh. it, it, it was always like this there was always more every time I looked into something. So um, he, Pope Paul VI was one of the people that he knew and spoke to and, you know, had dealings with. And Pope John Paul II, he actually considered sort of uh, a friend in many ways. And he, that's who he um, helped establish the Vatican Council for Bioethics. And he was sort of an advisor to Pope Paul II. So um in one of their conversations, what he didn't necessarily ask them about head transplant, 
he did ask them about brain death hmm. because that was really the tricky business. You know, if you want to take someone's organs or if you want to take their entire body and give it to someone else, it has to still be alive, the body part. Mm -hmm. But then that means you have to have declared the patient, the brain part, dead. And we didn't actually have a definition for that for huh. a long time. And even now, it's still a kind of contentious area because there's not a single... Um, agreed upon where all physicians agree exactly the same definition of death in the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's lots of different approaches. There's different legal definitions. Um, some definitions differ between countries or even between states. So when you think about it that way, it's not, we know what dead is, mm -hmm. but that moment between life and death is really difficult to draw a circle around. So um, that was what he had asked the Pope about. He basically said, you agree, right, that the life is in the brain. Um, and that's where life is. And so therefore, if the brain is gone, the body is, mm -hmm. is gone. And apparently, at least according to Dr. White, the Pope's response was something along the lines of, well, that's really something that that's on you. <laughs> you know, that's what <laughs> doctors are supposed to figure out. Mm -hmm. And I think White took that as like, okay, <laughs> you know, I will make that decision. <laughs> but wow. it's not that he was discounting what the Pope said. He actually felt that the Pope kind of turned it around and put it back on him as a, you know, what is your moral compass telling you? And so um, White really lived by that. And he really believed he was in the right. I mean, firmly believed he was in the right. I don't think he ever had many doubts about what it was he was doing. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that he knew two different popes. Could you imagine being at home and you're talking to Pope John Paul II and then call waiting flips over. Hey, um, Pope Paul VI is on the line. Can you hold on a second? <laughs> Even though I'm sure, I don't think call waiting was around in the 70s. But either way, she is an author, a historian, and also editor-in-chief of Medical Humanities. Her name is Dr. Brandy Scalache, and you can find her book, Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, A Monkey's Head, a Pope's neuroscientist in the quest to transplant the soul, which is out now. We'll continue our conversation with her right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. Thanks for joining us tonight. And I love stories in books like this. I find all of this very fascinating. And joining us here is Dr. Brandy Skilache. And the new book is called Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher. And I'm wondering, in today's medical world, there's all kinds of ethic boards that you have to go through if you're looking to do an experiment or something. And they make sure it's ethical. If you're at a university, they, they want to make sure you're not doing something that's unethical. So was he kind of like a one-man ethical machine? Did he go by his own compass? Or did he just console the Pope? Or did he also talk to other doctors to make sure what he was mm -hmm. doing was right? Because I, I feel like as a scientist, it mm -hmm. seems like that would be the first place the scientist would go to, not necessarily the Pope. Right. You are, you are correct. Um, partly, time period matters a lot in this book. And one of the other things that really became um, fascinating to me is just how much our perspectives, perceptions uh, on ethics and science have changed in the last 50 years or so. So when White was operating, and, and this is the 1970s, is when he was doing when he performed the head transplant, he actually did a, a surgery prior to that, which led to the head transplant, which was the brain isolation surgery. It was the first time he got in trouble with 
uh, animal rights activists. Mm-hmm. But he was he was performing these experiments, and at the time he was following the codes and the laws as they existed. Mm-hmm. It's just that now we have much more strict, stringent, careful codes and laws. So it's it's that he was following the science. It's just that science hadn't come perhaps as far as it has now in terms of <laughs> ethics and how we treat animals and how we treat other people. And so, you know, we, we, I think it's easy for us to look back with um, a modern lens and be appalled by things that at the time weren't all that upsetting mm-hmm. to people and have and later became more and more upsetting. And, you know, I think there's often people often consider that there's a real rivalry between science and animal rights. But in many ways, they've worked together over the years, too, to make sure that experiment, the animals that are used for experiments have much better lives. I mean, you mm-hmm. have you have animal rights groups to thank for that in part, right. the better laws for their care. But Dr. White felt that they were they were really interfering with the progress of science. Mm. There was a, a quote in your book, and I wanted to read this real quick because how I first found out about Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher was a Wired ma- Wired magazine, Wired.com uh, article titled, If You Transplant a Human Head, Does Its Consciousness Follow? Mm-hmm. And in the book, there was this one quote that was, to me, I, I thought, of course it does, right? But then I read this and I thought, well, there is more to this. And the quote was, when the mother of a deceased child listens to the heart of her baby in the body of a transplant recipient, whose heart beats in her ear? You know, if we think about it that way, can you transplant a human soul? And what a heart-wrenching thing to think a loved one who becomes an organ donor one day ultimately uh, dies before their time. And that organ is used in another body. And we've seen those viral videos where a mother goes up and puts her ear to another person's chest and hears their child's heart beating. And Mm -hmm. when I read that headline, does the consciousness follow? And I thought, yeah, of course. But then I read that quote and I thought, well, I don't know, because it it is a very complex idea. It really is. And I think you know, we've come to accept organ transplant as, you know, well, of course, of course, there's organ, we, we tick boxes on our license, we say sure. But I think we forget how weird it was for people. That was a, a major, major shift. You know, no one could have your organs living in someone else's body for most of human history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, until that, until well, first they did it on twins, but uh, until they had immunosuppressant drugs that would allow your body to accept someone else's organ, and then brain death uh, protocols so that you were allowed to take the organs, none of this could have happened. It's not even that old. I mean, it seems very normal, normative to us now, but it is a, a provocative thing. We are able to harvest an organ from a dying patient or a dead patient, brain dead patient, and put it in the living body of someone we are trying to save. And that is just, that was science fiction forever. Mm -hmm. So then you move on to this concept of what happens if you move the head around. And we have to wonder, well, where are we? It's not just about who are we, but where are we in this composite self Mm -hmm. that we are? You know, in, in ages past, they thought the soul, they thought that the selfhood kind of would lie in the gut. When people say, listen to your gut, that's coming from history. There mm-hmm. was a time when the gut was considered more important than the circulation system, mm. right? And for a long time, people just thought the gray porridge between your ears was, you know, a place for blood to pull. They didn't really understand its use. So now we think 
brains. Yeah, that's that's got to be where it is. But we also have neurons in our stomachs and we've got, you know, hormones and chemicals and all of these other things that help make us who we are. Where does our consciousness reside? Mm, wow. I wanted to ask you about those nine days, you said, after the uh, Dr. Robert White was able to transplant a monkey's head, the monkey lived for nine days. What happened during those nine days? What was observed? The principal observation that Dr. White made is that it was a very unhappy monkey. And I think that's probably accurate. Mm -hmm. They mostly just did tests to figure out I, I should step back a little bit. Mm -hmm. This began with a an isolation experiment. And what I mean by that is they wanted to see what a brain was like without its body. How does it metabolize? How does it, you know, function? What might drugs do to it if it didn't have a body to mediate that? And most importantly for Dr. White, was it thinking? Mm. If you kept it alive, was it thinking? Now, I think most of us think can can picture all of your listeners can probably picture a brain and it looks like a walnut and right it seems very sterile but how do you get at that brain that's a much more difficult process mm -hmm. you have to open up the skull you have to take apart you know the the veins and the vessels but what if you want the brain to still be alive while mm -hmm. you do that so what he essentially did is he hooked up a much larger monkey to a small monkey fed blood from the larger monkey to that smaller monkey and using a technique of supercooling the brain so it didn't need quite so much oxygen, began to take the body off of it, apart from the brain, mm -hmm. to have this isolated brain to see, can it still operate? Is it still thinking? Are you still in there, right? Because for white, Catholic, questions about the soul and the self are paramount. So he ends up with this naked brain being flushed with blood by a larger monkey, and they've had it hooked up to electrodes for an EEG, and the patterns are there. It's it's spiking the graph paper. White says it's thinking. It's it's in there. It's still living. It's got no body. The brain can outlive the body. That that's proof that you can outlive your body. Mm. But not everybody agreed that that's what was going on. A lot of other scientists were just super skeptical. Like, how do you know? What if it's a what if it's a weird reaction? What if it's an error? And at that point, he decided, well, if I take the entire head of this animal, then you can see its eyes, its nose, you can see it move, you can see it, you know, try to chew, you can see it do all of these different things. So in the nine days that the monkey lived, where its brain in its head has been attached to a new body, a lot of the things they did was to test those reflexes. Did it still track you around the room? Did it seem to recognize things? Did it, you know, obviously monkeys can't talk. But were there other ways that they could try and show that this was not just a monkey, but the same monkey mm -hmm. that it had been before they transplanted the head? That's a hard thing to prove, to even try to come up with a concept to prove that. And I notice, um, maybe I'm a little bit off on this, but when it comes to consciousness by itself, it's something that is very difficult for scientists to understand. There's still a lot that is unknown about it, even from people that haven't had their head removed. <laughs> Yes. Um, and we haven't done the surgery on people. Dr. White did want to, and he even had a patient lined up, but it never actually happened. So um, some things you wouldn't be able to prove until you were able to do that on someone who could <laughs> speak to you afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, th that's there's so many ways that that's going to go wrong. Um, the monkey only lived for nine days. 
the first heart transplant patients only lived for a few days. Mm-hmm. These are these early transplant surgeries are not necessarily fantastic, overwhelming successes usually. So, you know, there's a lot of failure involved in these things. And there's a lot of reasons to question whether or not you ought to do them. The book is called Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, a monkey's head, a Pope's neuroscientist in the quest to transplant the soul. Dr. Brandy Scalace joins us right after the break. and We'll continue this conversation next on Overnight America, KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to Overnight America. You can find me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. Just do a quick search right there. The book is Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher. And joining us here is Dr. Brandy Scalache. And the book is getting a lot of people talking online. You have to be pretty happy with the amount of different publications that have picked this up. And i got to thank you for spending some time with us here tonight. This is just so fascinating. And just congratulations on all the success of the book so far. So as a historian and someone that has watched this, uh, is there a certain point where these sort of experimentations just fall off and then it's picked back up again? And the, like, there's, Is there a large gap or have they been researching this for decades and we just haven't been looking at it? Um, th- there is there is a change that takes place. And I should have mentioned that uh, Dr. White was in part 
influenced by the successful kidney surgery or kidney transplant of Dr. Murray, but he was also influenced by a uh, Soviet scientist named, uh, well, he was a physiologist named Vladimir Demikov, hmm. who released a footage, a black and white film in 1958 of a surgically created two-headed dog, mm. where he had taken the head uh, of a smaller dog and transplanted it <clears throat> onto the, a much larger body of the larger dog. Yeah, and I, I think I've seen the photos of that. It's grafted, almost it looks like, to the base of the neck on the back of the dog. It is, yeah, because it's a shorter distance to get to <laughs> the proper plumbing Right. <clears throat> that way. So they weren't really going in for aesthetics. Um, the That was partly what gave White the idea that, okay, well, if you transplant a brain inside a head, then at least you can show that it still recognizes things. Because, of course, the second head of that dog could still, it could still use its tongue. It could still lap up milk. It was, there was a lot of things that it could still do. Therefore, in the minds, mind of the physiologist, proving that the brain was still operational and intact, even though it had been removed from one animal to another. Sort of. <laughs> um, if you want to think about it, it's almost as though the larger dog was acting as a life support system right. for the head and forepaws of the other wow. dog. So um, that was something that drove White. It also means, you know, this is the Cold War. Mm -hmm. The Soviet Union has got science and the USA has science. And there were actual sort of wars of science between one another because it was also a war of ideology. If your mm -hmm. science wins that means like you win, you know, and that explains a lot of what was going on in the space race as well. And what people don't know is there was this inner space race. There was this, um, you know, scientific transplant science, body science. And in a way, I think White was, he was funded. He, he got a lot of traction because we were in competition. Mm -hmm. And after the Cold War was over, some of that push, some of that drive for certain kinds of, you know, maybe even a little bit fringe experiments dried up a little bit. And um, it wasn't the only thing that was going on. I, you know, the civil rights movement had occurred. Animal rights movement was picking up. There was a lot of other reasons. But for White, he really felt like, you know, when, when there ceased to be an opponent, um, science kind of went, OK, we're done with that. <laughs> um, we're going to move on to these other things. But there's um, the, some of his colleagues had important things to say. Is they said, well, if if you are transplanting a head, or or I should say, a body, taking a body and giving it to a head, um, you're taking all those organs at one time. It's a very expensive surgery, and that body donor that he might have saved several different patients. Right? He could have um, given over his heart and lungs and and kidneys and all sorts of things to different people who need it. And there's all these people on waiting lists. So also other colleagues were like, I don't feel that this is the best place to be putting our, our attention. We ought to be doing something else. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that science quit doing fascinating things with mm -hmm. the brain and with paralysis and all kinds of other stuff, because they, they do continue to do those things. And White's perfusion technique, this hypercooling is still used to, it's used in brain surgery it's used um, for, for cardiac victims. If they have cardiac arrest, then they'll super cool the body and brain so that you don't suffer brain damage. So, you know, the science used some of those techniques, but it, it, it kind of went in a different direction. Wow. I think he was nominated for a Nobel Prize. Did he deserve it? Um, he was nominated not for the monkey surgery. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, not for he, that. <laughs> he was actually nominated by Joseph Murray, the man who had won a Nobel Prize for the his kidney transplant science things. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Murray actually said to White, you know, we're going to just, we're going to keep that monkey head transplant on the down low. <laughs> we're going to talk about your hypercooling techniques. And that's what he was nominated uh, nominated for. He didn't end up winning. I mean, part, he died the year that the decision was made. Mm. And it's not given posthumously, so he wouldn't have been able to win either way. I see. I wonder, too, when you mention other countries that were researching this and you mentioned the Russians, do they take an ethical approach? or Because uh, I don't know if there's a ground level that all scientists have a certain code. Or when you're talking about the 1970s Russians or anything, or 1950s Russians, that no, there's no ethics in that. They were just doing it for the sole purpose of seeing if they could. You know, for Vladimir Demikov, he was only he was a physiologist. And he was only working with dogs. So um, I can only speak to, to to what his work was doing. And he he frequently took the dogs home at night. So the so he would have these experimental dogs, and the dogs would also live with him in his tiny two room apartment with his family. So um, there was care involved, you know, and there were there were things that they had to follow. And strangely, Vladimir was actually, he ended up losing some positions because the institutions to which he was connected were like, this is too weird. <laughs> we don't want you doing this stuff anymore. So so they did have their own ethics, their own, they weren't exactly the same, obviously, but they had their own protocols and rules that they were following. And they're even, you know, over there, Soviet colleagues of Demikov were like, this is no, <laughs> we don't stop that <laughs> so um yeah i i think i think head transplant bothers a, a lot of people when it comes right down to it sure i it, and some people it excites because going to just a couple of years ago it was nationwide news or worldwide news of that italian neuroscientist that was trying to mm -hmm. pitch the idea that he thought he could successfully transplant the head of, I don't know if he's a paraplegic, but it's someone that was permanently disabled and he was more than willing to say, I, I would uh, donate myself to this experiment. The scientist said, oh, I think I can do it. And everything looked like they were going to do it, but it never really happened. So there's still right, people but... today that look at that and say that it's possible. And otherwise, you look at other headlines and they say this will never work. Um, don't even think about it because there's no chance this will ever work. So it kind of is still debated today. Yeah, well, because the, the truth of the matter is the technology is technically there for us to do this. It's it's more it's less of a question of can and more of a question of should. Mm -hmm. um, the surgeon you're thinking about is Sergio Canavero, and he um, his patient that he had as a volunteer actually withdrew. So mm -hmm. uh, unlike White, White's patient did not withdraw. Um, he was also his, he was a, a paralyzed patient as well, Craig Vitovitz, who had suffered a diving accident <clears throat> as a young man. But in Sergio's case, um, his patient got married. And <clears throat> when they asked him about it, he said, well, you know, I know I'm going to die. He, had a he has a wasting disease and I forget the name of it. Mm -hmm. But I know I'm I know I'm going to die, but I don't have to die Tuesday. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there is a big difference between uh, I actually wrote a book on death and dying and cross culturally. There's a big difference between saying I know I'm going to die mm -hmm. and I am dying now. And because the surgery is so dangerous, he felt that he was probably the odds were good that he would die during the surgery. Whereas if he trusts to the progress of the disease he has, he doesn't know how long he'll have. Mm. And in a weird way, that ambiguity was preferable to, you know, sticking a pin on a on a calendar and saying, this is when that's happening. And so that's one reason why it hasn't happened. Um, funding is, is a problem. And also it's not 
it has to be cleared. You know, someone has to, some institution, some country has to say, this is okay here. And no one's really done that yet. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) until you get that to happen, uh, and that was a big stumbling block for white, um, both funding and, you know, white actually thought he might be able to get away with it uh, by going to parts of the, um, by going to either, either Russia itself or, or other parts of the former Soviet Union. But ultimately, you have to have funding and you have to have permission. And mm-hmm. if those two things don't align, uh, oh, and you have to have the patient. Sorry, there's yeah. three things. <laughs> if those things don't align, it makes it very difficult to, to move forward. But, you know, the funny thing about technology is it gets ahead of us, doesn't it? We, mm-hmm. we end up being capable of doing things before we're aware of what the consequences might be. And that's why our ethics actually have to run out and get in front of us a little mm-hmm. bit, because it's it's not always a question of, can I do this? It's very often a question of, should we do this? Yeah, the Jurassic Park moment where mm-hmm. they, <laughs> it's the same thing about bringing dinosaurs back. So your book, Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, if people wanted to find that book or you online, where can they look? Um, it's all of the usual places like your Amazons and your Barnes and Noble. Um, if you want a signed copy, I work with an independent bookseller in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where the book is set and also where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And that's called Max Bax, Max Bax in Coventry. Um, and you can find a link to that on my website. The theme song for the Drew Carey show, does that get stuck in your head still? <laughs> <laughs> well, we all, you know, we're actually born with that theme song. So yeah, it just, it's, it's in the blood if you're from Cleveland. That's another question. You talk about the neurons that are in the stomach. Well, this is a theme song that's just built into your heart in Cleveland. There you go. That's what, <laughs> or, or whatever that, you know, wherever that personality lives, right. diffuse though it might be in this composite body of ours. Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher is the name of the book. And Dr. Brandy Scalace, thank you so much. I've had so uh, so much of a good time learning more about this. The book is so fascinating. Congratulations on all the success. And thank you for spending time with us tonight on KMOX. It was wonderful being here. Thanks so much. And she joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. All righty. Overnight America is up until midnight live. And we took some calls in the first hour when we were talking about the speech from earlier today, Joe Biden uh, addressing the coronavirus and where we are today when it comes to vaccination, things like that. And I'm sure we'll take some more of those calls if you wanted to. We could start opening those up again, but... We might play some more clips a little bit later in the show, too. And the last show of the week, I try to at least leave some opportunities for you. So if there's something that you want to talk about, something that we brought up on the show or whatever it may be, something we may have missed, you're free to do so. Absolutely free to do so. You have your phone, you're looking at it, and you're thinking to yourself, "Uh, when was the last time I actually used this to talk to another human being? (laughs) This could be one of those opportunities. For You can actually text or call 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. I'm still trying to test out a new microphone that I purchased, and I wanted to. My wife, I got to give her so much credit and much love on this world because she gave me the green light to actually purchase this new microphone, one I've wanted for a long time. Oh, it's a beaut. It's made of stainless steel. It looks like the St. Louis Arch, man. 
looking nice. But I posted a photo of it if you want to see on social media, me bragging about this brand new microphone I had to get. Uh, Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook, one of the places you can find it, or on Twitter at Ryan Recker. So a few things I wanted to get to. I didn't get a chance to do this earlier in the show. Maybe I'll do it next hour. But one of the problems that we have here in the city of St. Louis is a lack of prosecution of some violent criminals. We have people that have gunned down and killed children that the circuit attorney's office here in St. Louis says, oh, we're not going to go after this. And the feds have to step in to do something about it. And that's very concerning. The revolving door of these people that have committed these crimes, we say, oh, no, it's uh, not their fault or whatever the social circumstance may be. And then we find well, we're just going to let them go. And then they go out and commit more crimes, some of them, which turn very tragic. And I want to look at a 60-minute piece that will air this weekend. I'm looking forward to actually seeing it because I want to know if 60 Minutes is going to get both sides of the story because the track record of Kim Gardner as circuit attorney has been terrible so far. Her job performance have just been terrible, terrible. We will listen to at least the preview from 60 Minutes next hour and maybe play a little bit of that. I also want to point out in... New York, there's still a lot of pressure to drop Andrew Cuomo as the governor. He's got a lot of pressure, but he says he's not stepping back. More and more women continue to come forward. You're the CBS News update, radio side of it at least. They decided to point out there's one woman that came forward and said that he put his hand up her shirt or something. You'll probably hear another update here. Hopefully they continue with this because the TV stations, they seem to have dropped this. They seem to say, well, if they do talk about the the problem that goes on with these nursing homes, that's a rarity anymore. They're mostly looking at when more women come forward and the story being that there's more people demanding the resignation of Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. And Thursday, a majority of state legislators called for his resignation. Democrats launched an impeachment investigation and police in the state capitol said that they stood ready to investigate the groping allegation, all of which has come forward. But now even the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, is talking about it and the latest allegations not looking that great for the governor of New York. These six women who have come forward um, with such powerful, painful stories, uh, and particularly this most recent report, is just disqualifying. He just can't serve as governor anymore. And what about the nursing home problem? That's still a major issue. The fact that thousands of people died in the nursing homes, and we still don't have the truth about that, and their families need and deserve the truth. And we know one thing, there was a purposeful cover-up, and that alone is unacceptable and disqualifying. Ooh, that's some strong words. There was a purposeful cover-up. During this whole virus, we know that a lot of people looked at Bill de Blasio. Some of them not even Democrats. It's just people in general. Oh, look at him giving an update. Oh, New York City's leaving, leading the way. Oh, look how great they are. Why isn't he running for president? Oh, he's so good. And they give him a daytime Emmy or whatever it was, they just praised him over and over and over again. And look at all these things that were going on behind the scenes. I mean, he was just taking the state and the people that live in it for this ride and hiding this, what he said, the, well, let me play the quote again. And we know one thing, there was a purposeful cover-up and that alone is purposeful cover-up. That sounds like legal terms. That's not good. And think of all the other states that may have looked at the New York situation and then all of the pressures surrounding it saying, oh, New York is so great. We need to be like New York. Why can't we be like New York? Oh, it's so wonderful. And then they may have made decisions based on the successes of this. I, mean, I put that in air quotes, the successes 
of New York, not realizing that they were lying about the numbers. And there was a cover up and it actually led people to make the wrong decision and people ended up losing their lives. What if the elderly in nursing homes, the vulnerable population, people lost their lives because of the lies from Andrew Cuomo? That's a huge deal that needs to be talked about more every single day on the news until he steps down. One thing, does Bill de Blasio think Andrew Cuomo should step down? The governor called an employee of his, someone who he had power over, called them to a private place and then sexually assaulted her is absolutely unacceptable. It is disgusting to me. And he can no longer serve as governor. It's as simple as that. The fact that we can talk about how many people are bringing through, bringing forward accusations, that it's not one, it's not two, it's not three, it's not four, it's not five, it's six women who have come forward. It's deeply troubling. Now, you have to put an asterisk at the end and say, not six, not six, but six so far, because <laughs> there could be more. That clip could be outdated by this time tomorrow. Bill de Blasio says that Cuomo can no longer serve as governor. What I would like to see in even a step forward, and I'm not always great at giving predictions. And if you were to go back and say, I'm going to collect all the predictions that Ryan Recker has given on Overnight America, my track record is probably less than 50%. <laughs> it's not great. But I will put another prediction out there because I haven't learned my lesson to never give predictions on the radio. My prediction here. Uh, my prediction is that Chris Cuomo, who hosts a show on CNN, may have been privy to some of these accusations, may have known some of these women, and may have been involved in some way. And that needs to be looked into and should be looked into and hopefully does get looked into. And if the pressures, because, you know, being buddy-buddy with his brother, Andrew Cuomo, if the pressures were there, and we know that Chris Cuomo, he's got a hot head, he acts a certain way, and he is someone that has shown his temper many of times, who knows how else he acts in front of women and some of these other people. Maybe he was somehow covered for his brother. Maybe somehow he was there when it happened and didn't do anything or say anything. And maybe his credibility needs to be looked at as a quote unquote news anchor on CNN. And maybe that's the next step to all of this, because we know that uh, in a lot of ways, them laughing and joking about this on a show on CNN is in retrospect, pretty distasteful. And now today, he won't even talk about it. He said, no, obvious reasons. Well, he's definitely not a news journalist if you can uh, have to exclude yourself from a news story because of your uh, connection that way, because he can't unbiasedly uh, report on these things. That's pretty clear. And, all right, we got one more hour of Overnight America. Let's take some of your calls. I'd love to hear from you tonight on this uh, rainy, cold night on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.